Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Rejoice, but I'm going to ask us to pray again because I need Jesus. And so I want us to bow and pray for our talk. So if you don't mind, Lord, I just thank you so much for these women that they take time to come and be with us and that we would hear your word, God. I pray that you would illuminate it to us, God, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would be magnified, and that we would see your kingdom for what it is already diverse. Lord, and that we would have hearts that would be transformed. May we love, Lord. That's the goal. The end goal is that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. So, God, I thank you, and I pray that you would give me grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you want to, you can go ahead and turn to Mark 12, and you can just hold it there. I want to ask you a quick question. Have you heard the buzzword narcissist? narcissism it's kind of going around these days and I think it's probably because of social media we see pictures of selfies and whatnot and we can easily throw a stone and say that person is a narcissist or you put up a post about something of yourself and well they're just struggling with narcissism I've seen blog posts articles about narcissism am I alone or have you seen that it's a buzzword now And I'm here to tell you something that's probably not going to be popular. We're all narcissists. We all are. We all love ourselves with an extreme love. We do. And I think it's because we are narcissists that Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Because he knows there's no one that we love more than ourselves. So he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's read in Mark 12, starting in uh, 28. We're going to read 28 through 31. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well and asked, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So of all the commandments in Deuteronomy and all the commandments in Leviticus, The greatest is that we love our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. You can just listen to this. We see this again in Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. The title of this very short talk is the second commandment. Um, the title is Love, the Second Commandment, the First Loser. We know we've probably put the scripture up on our bulletin board. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But today I want to challenge and ask you, are you doing this? Are you doing this second commandment? Are we truly doing it? Today we are going to seek to understand that the pursuit of diversity, because that's what we're talking about today, is actually a pursuit of love. The solution to our race problem is love. That's our solution. There's been a series of tragedies that has happened. If you've looked on the news, if you've paid attention at all, you know that in Ferguson, Missouri, right now there's a trial and it's about to be announced a ruling on the murder of Michael Brown and that shooting. One thing we can, if we want to be what a lot of people call post-racial, but we know without a doubt that we are not beyond race or racism. Those stories have brought out so much emotion and have really divided our nation and, and revealed to us that there's still a lot of work to be done. So there is no question that this topic and this issue is still very important, that we can't ignore it, and that we, as women, need to be thinking about this and talking about this. So how are we to think about these things, and what is the church to do? For us as Christians, the first thing we need to do is run to Scripture. What does Scripture, the Word of God, say? We can be led by culture, or we can be led by the Word of God. And I tell you, he has great things to say about this topic. Understanding what Scripture says about humanity helps us to love one another. So we're going to dive in. And this is going to be our foundation for how we pursue diversity and loving one another. In the beginning, Genesis 1.26 tells us that God created all mankind in his image, male, female. We know that in Ephesians 1.4, that God, the creator God, the awesome and almighty God, had man in mind. Before the foundation of the world, that is Amazing. Now, our God is all-knowing. So he knew, before the foundation of the world, that we would fall. He knew that Adam and Eve would sin. He knew that we would not worship him. He knew this. And yet, because our God is amazing and awesome and good, he made us to reflect aspects of himself. He did this as image bearers. We are equal. I'm just going to take off my earring. Is that knocking? Sorry about that. We are equal in dignity and worth, but we are also fallen equally. It is profound mystery, but it's the truth of Scripture. Now, we could stop here and we could all say, okay, we're made in the image of God and we're equal. And we could stop and we could walk out and that should be enough. We are equal in made in his image in other words we should be free 
to relate and to love those who are not like us because of this one aspect. Christ continually, in his supreme example, related to people who were different from him. Be it tax collectors or Samaritans. Samaritans, they hated, um, they were hated by Jewish people and vice versa. He was bold to share, bold to the point of death on a cross, and we've already talked about that and sung about that today. He was bold, and he is our prime example. The gospel has the power to bring the most unlikely people together for his glory. And that was the case for me. So in the book that she talked about, United, I talk about my two friends. I have a friend named Amy Maples, who is, she's a white chick, and Lillian, who is my Chinese friend. And we grew up together, in sort of. In uh, college, we started doing accountability together, and we stuck together for years and years. We were in each other's weddings. We were the best of friends, and we couldn't have been more different. But in God's equation, we also couldn't have been more the same. We were created all to reflect the image of God. It's those relationships that the Lord used that helped me begin to understand that diversity was beyond what I learned and picked up in college. And I imagined some of you have learned the same things. There's a sort of love that the world is selling us now, and it's, it's kind of it's accept everyone, accept all things, ignore truth. That's the love that we are being told is true love now. But when you hear the term diversity, I want to ask you, and you can just think in your head, what do you think? What do you think of? What do you think should motivate us? To pursue it. The term diversity has taken on many meanings throughout the years. In the 60s, it was likely referred to for desegregation. By the 70s and 80s, it would have been associated with affirmative action. And now, there's loads of definitions. But it is those relationships in the Word of God that help me see that the pursuit of diversity is actually a pursuit of love. The Bible gives us compelling vision for diversity in the kingdom of God. Guys, it's already diverse. The kingdom of God is already diverse, but we sometimes can't see it. I want us to caution here. We don't want to pick up another trend. You in this room, and maybe those who are watching who can't be here, are future women's ministry leaders, Bible study leaders, professors, Moms, you don't pursue diversity. You don't pursue others because it's a trend, because it's something to do, something to write on, something to add to your resume. You do this because you love, because God first loved you, and you love others. We want to get a vision for diversity because we want to learn how to love our neighbors as ourselves. So my question to you is what is hindering you. If right now you walked out of the room and you asked someone to lunch, who would they, what would they look like? 
We know, theoretically, that we are to love one another. We know, theoretically, that we are all created equally. And maybe you don't. Maybe this is the first time you've really thought through that. Wait a minute. My Chinese neighbor is made equally in the image of God? I've never thought of that. Maybe that's you. So, are you living it? If you answered, no, I'm not, you are not alone. It is, you are not alone. We are comfortable with those who we feel like are more like ourselves. This isn't something new. In first century, the Corinthians, they talk about how they would meet in the homes of the wealthy, and there would be divisions that would emerge on, at the dinner table. Commentators believe these divisions were caused because wealthy believers tended to sit and feast with the privileged. This isn't something new. It's similar. We all do this. This is just one example of how we divide. So it wouldn't be loving, because we're talking about love, if I told you you're okay. That would not be loving. And so I want to ask these hard questions. So let's look, or you can just listen, to James 2, 1 through 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man and not the rich, the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of, by which you were called? Now listen to this. If you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Here it is again in James. Want to fulfill the royal law? Want to learn to love those unlike yourself? Ask God and be honest. Is this something you struggle with? He is faithful to answer, and we can be honest. We can ask ourselves these hard questions. And I'm here to tell you, as someone who wrote a book about diversity, I can struggle too. I can struggle with loving my neighbor as myself. I can struggle with judging. There's a favorite coffee shop that I would write in, and I can... I could look at someone and judge them immediately by what they wear. Oh, they must be history or whatever. <laughs> and whatever that means. That doesn't mean anything. Or you, whatever it is, whatever your temptation is, I just want you to know we are all tempted that way. After church, it's easier to go and find someone that I know 
than to go and reach out to someone that is unlike me. We all, we all struggle there. We all struggle with the sin of partiality. And even though James is not addressing ethnicity here, I would say that it would apply. But we don't have to narrow our pursuit of diversity to ethnicity or race. It's also economic preferences and much more. We want to pursue those with various ethnicities, but I'd say that what we're really seeking after is loving people who are not like us broadly. So I don't want you to leave and think, well, I'm in this rule. Is Raleigh rule? It's, I don't know. <laughs> homogenous? Okay, not so much. Okay, well, it, whatever your community is, if it's homogenous, I know that in this room, we, we, we would desire more diversity. So if you, if you find yourself in a, a place that's a little more homogenous, I don't want you to think that that's your only pursuit, because that's not it. God wants our hearts to be transformed so that we love our neighbors as ourselves. But it starts with gospel transformation, which starts within our hearts. I remember I was in college at the University of Tennessee, and I had, um, what, 26,000 students at the time? That was a few years ago, but <laughs> we won't go there. But, um, and I was 18, no, I was 19, and um, a young girl came up to me, and she was so excited. Why was she excited? I was the first black person that she had ever talked to. Yeah, she was 18, but she was living in a rural area, hadn't met one before, and she was so excited, and I was excited. <laughs> I was like, hey, this is great. But, but it really was great, because had she, what if she didn't? What if she didn't pursue me? Because I was different from her. What if she didn't? I spoke even last year at a conference, and a lady came up to me and shared with me that I was the second black person, or African-American, that she had seen in a two-week period. Now, I share these stories because we pursue diversity. I want us to be realistic, and I don't want you to leave here thinking, well, it, it just can't be done. Well, the truth is, if we open our eyes and look around, you'll see diversity. And it's not just ethnicity. What we're really after are classrooms, women's ministries, churches that love people. And it starts with our own hearts. That's why we evaluate. Am I partial? Yes, you are. Am I narcissistic? Yes, you are. <laughs> can I change? Yes, by the grace of God, I can. We can. We are after homes and churches that love others. So how do we do this? I'm running out of time. Let me just skip over and tell you how. Here are four areas I think the scripture addresses ethnicity that we can look at. And this is, our, this is how we pursue it and how we pursue love. So the first one I've already spoken about 
is creation. We are image bearers. We are created in the image of God. Genesis starts out that way, which I think is so neat that the Lord would start that way. Not one of us was made apart from the creative and thoughtful design of our creator God. We say with David in Psalm 139, 14 through 15, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. As image bearers, we were all made to reflect the Lord. So if we are all created equal, then we're redeemed image bearers. This is the first indication that God's kingdom is already diverse. We are created equally in his image. Here's good news, ladies. He did not discriminate. That's good news. He did not discriminate in his design. Because we are all image bearers, we can know that God's kingdom includes a variety of people groups. All ultimately, every single person on this earth is ultimately created to reflect. And what we are created for is to worship God. Redemption, number two, the gospel. We are all created in need of God's saving grace. We are all created in his image, and each and every image-bearing person walking on this earth is created in need of salvation. The fall of man affected each of us. We know that we all fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And here's more good news. Jesus died for every tribe, tongue, and nation. He did not discriminate. God didn't discriminate in his creating us in his image. And Jesus, he died on the cross for every single person who would believe. He did not discriminate. His mission was to seek and save the lost, everyone. John 3.16, one of those famous passages that has been used and abused, but it's truth. We're going to start with 15, though. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. So must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever. I'm going to say this. It's not a white gospel, right? That's good news. <laughs> it's not just for a narrow group. It's for all of us. Praise God. Though... That everyone in verse 15 has been debated. There is no denying that everyone includes every tribe and tongue and nation. For we see in verse 16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world and made it possible that anyone who believed, anyone, would have eternal life. Guess what? The Great Commission reminds us that his mission is our mission. And it is again applied broadly. Jesus commissions his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. He doesn't say, go and find of just, you know, Jews, or go and find just Gentiles, or go and find just people from this area. He says, no, go and find all nations. 
teach them to obey and baptize them. This is our mission too. He says that they and we should seek and love and serve people from every nation. And I say love and serve because sharing the gospel and teaching others is possibly one of the greatest ways we can love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? We have the best news ever. We have this treasure in a jar of clay that we get to share. Best news ever. Want to love your neighbor as yourself? Go share the gospel. And it is for everyone, every tribe, tongue, and nation. Number three, and this is to me is for the Christian probably one of the best points, <laughs> besides the gospel, obviously. We are the family of God. As Christians, we are adopted children of God. We are children of God, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Romans 8, 16 through 17, I'm not making that up. That's amazing. We are children of God and heirs with Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God had us in mind. And then he adopted us. Fallen people. He's like, no, I'm going to redeem you. And then I'm going to, adopt, I'm going to adopt you and you're going to be my child. We can call him Father. A few days ago, or just yesterday, it feels like a few days, <laughs> I left some of the most important people in my life to come and chat with you guys. And Dr. Donahue, I almost called you Denise, I guess that's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, she mentioned them. My son, my daughter, my husband loved them with all my heart. They are my family. And they are of great importance. Guess what? You are my family, and you are of great importance. That is what God's Word says. The church, broadly, the church, small c, big c, the family of God. It's hard to imagine for me sometimes that there could be anything more special than the one family that I have. They are important. But there is another family of great value, and that's the family of God. Even before his death, Jesus affirmed this importance. He said, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 12. 48 through 50. Jesus isn't saying that our biological families aren't important. He's just saying, hey, following me is of greater importance. The kingdom is important. So that means that my friends Amy and Lillian that I was talking about, they were really my sisters, sisters in Christ. One way for us to truly love and care for the church is for us to get a big God view of the family of God. We've got a colorful family. That's good news. Understanding our adoption is important to pursuing diverse friendships and relationships, and it's a good pursuit for loving our neighbors as ourselves. If we understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, then we can pursue this love. It's one motivation, that is. 
Finally, the last thing is Revelations. Revelations records striking accounts of the last days when all nations, tribes, and tongues will be worshiping Jesus. First, we see a picture in Revelations 5, 9. Creatures and elders, they're falling to their face before the Lamb of God, singing about the worthiness of the Lord and proclaiming the redemption of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then in Revelation 7, John tells us of the multitude of nations worshiping, again, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. God doesn't have to remind us again in Revelations that, hey, we already have a diverse kingdom, but he does. So from the beginning to the end, he's reminding us. Genesis all the way to the end. Creation, redemption, adoption, and revelation prove that there is a diverse kingdom throughout all of Scripture. We see it. Colorful, diverse. So this pursuit that I'm talking about, this diversity that I'm talking about, it's in our Scriptures. What if God didn't? pursue it? What if he didn't do that? Would he be a God of love? We see this and we pursue this because of the gospel. The greatest news we will ever hear embraces and advocates for diversity. A diversity of people born again into a new family for a holy and good God. If we get this, con- this foundation first and understand that when we're pursuing others, because the scripture speaks of it, then we can walk in faith, can't we? Understanding that it is a good thing in God's word rather than something trendy helps us to be motivated to love and serve others who we feel are not like us. I want to just pause and say something really quickly. To be different is good. God created us all different. We see that in 1 Corinthians with all the different gifts. We can't all be eyes. We can't be all be noses, etc., etc. You know that scripture. So to be different is good. So what we need, though, is to pursue it and to love one another. We don't have to, I kind of hate that term, colorblind. No one's colorblind. We can't be colorblind, so just erase it from your mind. (laughs) It's, It's not necessary. We want to embrace our differences because God is the creator God and he created us. And he's redeemed us as we are in the way that he created us. So... I'm going to assume that if you came here, that this is something you want to pursue. Out of the four points that I mentioned, I think the most, one of the greatest motivators is for us to remind ourselves that we are the family of God. As we begin to view members of our churches, and even as we look around this room at each other and begin to view each as members of God's family, and thus our family, our prejudice will begin to crumble. 
It won't hold weight. Racial reconciliation is not only possible, it is a must because we are the family of God. And that's for us in here. It's not, it's not that it's only possible. It's a must. We must reflect to the world that it's possible because we have the gospel. And we can, we can because we have the gospel. All this equality should transform the way we interact with others, including our pursuit of one another in love. Understanding the family of God is yet another weapon against racial intolerance in the church and beyond. As we recognize, accept, and embrace our new family, the walls of hostility will crumble. And as I shared earlier, you may be studying in, in, in on campus and um, learning and and. And you've got such great opportunities to take all this delicious and wonderful knowledge and affect change in the world. May this be part of it. He's got a colorful family, and so do we. I love this. This is how Dr. Russell Moore puts it in his book, Adopted for Life. So I'm going to read this quote. Our adoption means, this is Dr. Moore speaking, our adoption means, that we find a different kind of unity. In Christ, we find Christ. We don't have our old identities based on race or class or life situation. The Spirit drives us from Babel to Pentecost, which is why the works of the flesh, Paul warns about, include enmity, strife, jealousy. We, when we find our identity anywhere other than Christ, our churches will be made up of warring partisans rather than loving siblings. What would it mean, though, if we took the radical notion of being brothers and sisters seriously? What would happen if your church saw an elderly woman no one would ever confuse as cool on her knees at the front of the church praying with a body-pierced 15-year-old anorexic girl? What would happen if your church saw a white millionaire corporate vice president being mentored by a Latino minimum wage earning janitor because both know the janitor is more mature in the things of Christ? What if we took this notion seriously? Our friendships, our pursuit, our relationships, our seminary classes, our women's ministry, whatever, whatever you want to say, it would all transform. You fill in the blank. Our interactions with others would radically change. Why? Because we see each other as God does. What if we could redeem the word narcissist? Does everyone know who Desiring God, John Piper? He has taken the word hedonism and he's transformed it into Christian hedonism. What if we transform, in the beginning I talked about narcissism, what if we transformed it? Narcissism is about self-love, our, our pursuit of ourselves, a love of self. What if we unashamedly pursued loving others? What if we unashamedly and passionately pursued the good of others? 
that would be loving our neighbor as ourselves. We can redeem that word. Can that be our mission? It's a new mission. You're a new challenge. Redeem the word, narcissism. (laughs) Pursue others in love. If we love our neighbors as ourselves, can we truly hate our neighbors because of the God-created color of their skin? If we truly love our neighbors as ourselves, can we walk away from people, not be inclusive, distinguish, and isolate ourselves from others? We can't, if we truly love. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law on our behalf because he knew we could never do it. Amen? He did it for us because he knew we could never do it. He died for our self-love. He died for our unloving attitudes. He died for our racism, for our prejudices, for our judgmental attitudes. In a room this size, there's no doubt that someone has experienced or struggled with racism. If you haven't struggled with it, maybe you've experienced it. We can ask God to help us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us and to transform us. We can also ask him to that we would have hearts that would forgive because forgiveness is love. One day we will love perfectly. Right now we won't, but one day we will. But until that day, let's keep pursuing love. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for the glorious gospel. It is our only motivation We love you because you first loved us and you paid the ransom we could never pay. You died a death we could never die. You bore the wrath for all of our sin, our our self-love, God, our racism, our prejudices, our partiality. You died for that, Lord. Thank you. Jesus, thank you. Your blood has washed away our sin. Jesus, thank you. Your wrath has been satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Lord, may we pursue love. May we pursue one another, God, because you first loved us and you have given us your word. You've also given us your spirit so that we can walk in a manner that's worthy of your gospel. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to do this. It is only by your grace that we can. And, God, I thank you for this glorious gospel that unites people, that has brought us all in to a new family to reflect you. You are an awesome God, and we worship you, we praise you, and we thank you today. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at 
www.scbts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.